Are you someone who might be considered by others to be a bit of a control freak? Do you like everything just as it ought to be? I have some disturbing news for you. There's really only one thing that's under your control, and that is yourself. If there's one thing COVID-19 and this terrible crisis has taught us, that so much of life is beyond our control. Let's pause together and pray as we think about what it is to know this in our lives, the fruit of the Spirit, which is self-control. Let us pray. Father, we ask that in these moments you would be with us, that your word would speak to us, and we would make suitable application of it to our hearts and lives. For your honour and glory, we pray these things. Amen. In that passage that Phil read for us, we learned that, that Nehemiah, this exiled slave, had risen to a position of great influence in the court of King Xerxes, the ruler of the Persian Empire in the 5th century BC. And while he was there, some visitors came from Jerusalem and they brought distressing news. Nehemiah 1, 3 and 4. The remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shape. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. And note the response of Nehemiah, God's servant, as he hears these words. As soon as I heard the words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Nehemiah felt shame, deep shame for the state of his hometown, Jerusalem with her broken walls. There was no defence, no protection. All the inhabitants were easy prey to every threat that might come against them. And Nehemiah is moved to weep and pray for days, asking that God might intervene and miraculously transform that situation. But why are we talking about that story when we're thinking about the fruit of the Spirit that is self-control? Well, because the book of Proverbs includes these words. Proverbs 25 and verse 28. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. This is the image of a heart with no defence, no protection, vulnerable and inevitably lost. So this morning, as we bring to an end our mini-series on the fruit of the Spirit, The question that comes to mind when we think about this matter of self-control is, what is it? Is this control the work of the spirit or is it the work of self? Is it spirit control or self-control? And of course, the answer is yes. Nehemiah prayed that God might intervene and restore the walls of Jerusalem. And what was the answer to his prayer? Nehemiah was sent not from the court of the Persian king, but from the court of the heavenly king to be God's agent, to see that city transformed, the city that bore God's name. He had a divine appointment to take away the shame of that unguarded city. And so it is that the Spirit of God is sent into the heart of the child of God to initiate the taking of the necessary steps to remove the shame of an unguarded life. Now, please note, this cannot be a self-help 
sermon. There should never be any try harder, do better sermons preached because that only leads to one of two pursuits. The pursuit of self-salvation with a dependence upon works and not grace, which leads to pride or defeat. It burdens us with the guilt at failure or with this pride at success, drawing glory away from Jesus. True self-control is always spirit-enabled control because he alone can make the eternal difference in our lives. And the purpose of self-control is ultimately not self-protection, but God's honour. So what then are the keys to possessing the fruit of the Spirit that is self-control? Well, let me suggest to you that there are three. And the first of these is a heart transformed. In the prophecy of Ezekiel, God speaks to his people and tells them of the outcome of his covenant of love toward them. He says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27. God is the transformer of hearts. Self-control requires a transformed heart. Tom was one drink from death. He had abused alcohol for many decades and now with the advancing of the years it became very clear that his next descent into that darkness would be his last. In desperation he cried out to God and his prayer was dramatically answered. His heart was transformed and in that instant he he gave up his craving for alcohol and for tobacco. He, He threw his tobacco into the fire and never thought to smoke or drink again. He moved from a mobile home into a comfortable pensioner's bungalow and life appeared to be sweet and to be settled down for him. Then I, as his minister, received a frantic call from his longtime friend Willie. Tom's in trouble, he said. His chip pan has caught fire and his home is destroyed with greasy black soot everywhere. This will be his excuse. This will be the trigger for another binge. I rushed down to Tom's house and he gave me the guided tour of the devastation. What are you going to do? I asked him. And Tom explained. When I first moved in, it was a bit of a rush and I did a slap dash job getting the place ready. But this now is my chance to do it right. I'm going to have to redecorate the place from top to bottom. And this time I'll make a very good job of it. What had changed in Tom's life? Everything had changed. Why? Because he had experienced the rebirth. He'd been born again by the Spirit of God and he had received the gift of a new heart. And if you desire Spirit-enabled self-control, you need a new heart, a heart that's transformed from stone to flesh. You must be born again. Now please do note, firstly for Tom, smoking and drinking were not keeping him out of heaven. They had absolutely nothing to do with it. Rather, it was his failure to submit to Jesus Christ as the Lord of his life. Alcohol may have destroyed his body, but it didn't damn his soul. 
Rather, it was the resistance to the rule of Jesus Christ in his life that did that. And secondly, a heart transformed does not necessarily mean that every addiction or every vulnerability will be swept away. God's children are, as the German reformer Martin Luther argued, simul justice et pacator. We are at the one time both justified before God through the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ and yet, until we reach heaven's glory, remaining sinners. But we have this hope. We have improved defences. We have increased resources to fight against the enemy of our souls to experience the fruit of the Spirit, that is self-control, you require the transforming of your heart. And secondly, you and I need the renewing of your mind. Mind renewal. The Apostle Paul writes in the familiar words of Romans 12 and verses one and two, saying, I appeal to you therefore brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God. How do you discern and know the will of God? You do it with a renewed mind. There are many times when God, for our good and his glory, chooses not to fix our problems, but to change our perspective, how we see them, that we might face them through the strength that he supplies and for the purposes of his glory. How does this happen? Well, when the correct information about the circumstances before you is revealed, then you're enabled to interpret what is happening in the appropriate manner. In other words, your mind is renewed. Author Stephen Covey tells of a mind-renewing experience. He writes, One Sunday morning on a New York subway, people were sitting quietly, some reading newspapers, some lost in thought, some resting with their eyes closed. It was a calm and peaceful scene. Then suddenly, a man and his children entered the subway car. The children were so loud and rambunctious that instantly the whole climate changed. The man sat down next to me and closed his eyes, apparently oblivious to the situation. The children were yelling back and forth, throwing things, even grabbing people's papers. It was very disturbing. And yet, the man sitting next to me did nothing. It was difficult not to feel irritated. I could not believe that he could be so insensitive to let his children run wild like that and do nothing about it, taking no responsibility at all. It was easy to see that everyone else on the subway felt irritated too. So finally, with what I felt was unusual patience and restraint, I turned to him and said, Sir, your children are really disturbing a lot of people. I wonder if you could control them a little more. The man lifted his gaze as if to come to a consciousness of the situation for the first time and said softly, Oh, you're right. I guess I should do something about it. We just came from the hospital where their mother died about an hour ago. I don't know what to think and I guess they don't know how to handle it either. Covey writes, can you imagine what I felt in that moment? 
My paradigm shifted. Suddenly, I saw things differently. I felt differently. I behaved differently. My irritation vanished. I didn't have to worry about controlling my attitude or my behaviour. My heart was filled with this man's pain. Feelings of sympathy and compassion flowed freely. Your wife just died. Oh, I'm so sorry. Can you tell me about it? What can I do to help? Everything changed in an instant. You see, in that story, Kobe's problems were not fixed, but his perspective of his problems was utterly transformed because of one small additional piece of information. How are our minds renewed day by day to live with greater spirit-empowered self-control? Well, this comes about as we give ourselves that one important piece of information, the heart of the gospel preach to ourselves, that we have to remind ourselves again and again that I am more sinful than I ever dared to believe and I am more loved than I ever dared to hope. My problems aren't fixed, but my perspective has changed. You renew your mind daily by looking to the cross. Hopefully, very soon, we will be able to share in the Lord's Supper and we do this, we do this to remember, we repeat this regularly so that we do not forget what has been done for us through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And we do this to renew our minds, to get our problems into perspective and to increase our self-empowered, spirit-empowered self-control. Heart transforming, mind renewing, and thirdly, will strengthening, the strengthening of our will. You see, when our will is strengthened, then we do what we should rather than what we feel. We have this lovely promise in the prophecy of Isaiah, Isaiah 41 and verse 10. God speaks through his servant and says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Paul begins his great doxology at the end of the letter to the Romans with these words saying, Now to him who is able to strengthen you, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, Romans 16.25. And here is a simple message that we need to grasp. God is able to strengthen you. So Paul writes this really rather cryptic message in Philippians, Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13. He says, Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Well, which is it? I ask Paul. Is it God working in us or is it me working? And of course, Paul gives me the answer. Yes. While the people under Nehemiah's leadership worked night and day with bent backs and blistered hands to restore the walls of Jerusalem, it was very clear that all this was done under the hand of God. It could only have been God's empowering that would cause the city to be restored in such a short space of time. In the book of Nehemiah, chapter 6, verses 15 and 16, we read these words. 
So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul, in 52 days. And when our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem. For they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. In the building of a strengthened will, we have a responsibility. We have work to do and God promises that he will empower us to do it so that the glory might be to him alone. A boxer or a tennis player, a golfer or whatever will repeat and repeat and repeat the correct technique so that in the heat of the moment when it really matters what is supposed to happen happens. The ball finds its way to the bottom of the cup. The punch strikes its intended target. And when we experience these things, hearts transformed, minds renewed, wills strengthened. When we persistently pursue God's ways, they supernaturally become natural to us. We become more and more like Jesus. Massive human effort, empowered and enabled by the Spirit of God, is required for the fruit of self-control to be established in our lives. Paul tells us that one of the characteristics of the last days is that people will be without self-control. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 3. And in our modern world, this all seems so liberating. There's no restraint. There's no control. The walls, the barriers are broken down. People are free to do as they please. But the only problem is there's no protection. There's no defense. There's no security against attack. And particularly in this world, the attack of the enemy of our eternal souls. You see, everyone whether they recognize and worship God or not, every one of us is in a spiritual war. And because of this, we need to have our lives carefully defended. Peter writes, saying, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. 1 Peter 4 and 7. And again, in 1 Peter 5 and 8, he writes, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Some years ago, when visiting a partner church in Kenya, I was able to get out into the bush with some friends and to, 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 to go among the wild animals, getting out of just walking about. And I took some stunning photographs of giraffes, zebras and various antelope. It was one of those really special moments in life. Not at all like a zoo. No bars, no fences, no walls. Just you face to face with the animals who seemed pretty unconcerned about my presence. It was utterly amazing. But if there'd been a lion there, a lion on the prowl. I really would have wanted something solid between it and me. Happy enough with giraffe, but no way am I facing a lion. I would want secure protection. We have an adversary. There is a roaring lion on the prowl and you and I need spirit-empowered self-control. We need hearts transformed, minds renewed, wills strengthened. We need the work of the Spirit of God to save us and secure us now 
and until he takes us home into that place where the walls are high and secure and made from the purest of gold, the new Jerusalem, the home of God's children. Let's pray together. Father, may we understand the need for self-control, but that we need you to help us to control ourselves. The resources required are not to be found deep within, but looking above. Thank you, Lord, that you're not slow to transform hearts and minds and wills. You want to see us live as we ought, and you eagerly provide the resources. May we avail of all that you have made for us, all that you've given to us, all that you want to bless us with. Father, may we know in our lives that fruit of the Spirit that is self-control, that we might be safe and strong in this dangerous world and ever live to your honour and glory. For we pray this through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.